0: This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, on Backheel.com, with your hosts Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson here with you tonight. The New York Red Bulls, three matches in, are undefeated. ...in league play. They're at the top of the East, and I'm sure they are having a laugh after a 2-1 road win at Columbus Crew. Tonight, I'm seeing Red Dan, and I'll go inside that victory in Columbus. We'll give our Bull and Cow of the Week. We will talk to... Metro and Red Bull legend John Wallenek, who is currently coaching the New York Red Bulls 2 team that made their debut last weekend. And we've got some more voicemails and emails. And uh, so it's a pretty, uh, it's a good, it's a good, with, with a buy, with yet another buy to come. It's a, it's a hefty uh, seeing red, if not a supersized seeing red. Dan, how are you tonight? I'm doing all right. Mark, how are you? I'm doing very well. Always good to be talking about Red Bull soccer. So New York goes on the road. They um, they they are playing the pressing game. And for, I guess you could argue, the third straight week, a very strong performance. And uh, Walt's at a crew Stadium with a 2-1 victory.
1: Yeah, it was impressive. I mean, I know uh, there were a handful of fans who believed that this would be the end of the love affairs. I think they dubbed it. Um, mm-hmm. And the team managed to pull out another result. Uh, kept playing the same style, dominated the midfield, and you know took their chances. Granted, you know the the scoring was opened on a penalty kick that Lloyd Sam drew, probably yep. uh, luckily put home because Steve Clark certainly guessed right on that that penalty. And yes. then you know you had the sort of typical set piece disaster to see the crew get back into the game, <laughs> and then you had Macklemore himself scoring the uh, the thousand thousandth goal for this franchise, which was just sort of incredible and weird, and I managed to ride it out for a a very important road win. I mean, it's early in the season still, but um, they're the only team left unbeaten in the East.
0: And uh, and an Iguain expulsion So there there was a whole lot going on in this game Uh, As we said, first half scoreless Some decent chances Sal Zizo, that was difficult to miss It was a very fast uh, ball early in the game Flashed across the the crease And Zizo crashed into it And just could not get it to go uh, down and in Halftime scoreless, and then uh, yeah, our old friend, former number one draft pick Tony Chani uh, punishes, and then um, I think it was sixty seconds after coming on, uh, Mike Grella. Long Island, local boy uh, with a wonderful chip that once again has been nominated for Goal of the Week. I think all three weeks that the Red Bulls have have played this year, they have had someone nominated for Goal of the Week. And uh, and I think Robles for Save of the Week as well.
1: I I think Robles has been up for Save of the Week all the time. I I remember there was a lot of... uh grousing that the after the DC game neither Lloyd Sam nor Bradley were nominated even though Bradley won uh, player of the week. Right, the
0: week. you're right, you're correct, you're correct. So New York goes in, they they pull uh, they pull their press and really interesting article today by Adam Jardy in the Columbus Dispatch uh with with crew coach Craig Burhalter basically saying as well as a number of the players we we knew it was coming, we knew the Red Bulls high press was coming and we just simply couldn't break it out. We, we couldn't do anything about it. Um, and not only was it a great article because it promoted the notion that this team is playing very well, but also it's, it was, it's the kind of tactical journalism, tactical soccer journalism, that you really just don't see a whole lot in this country. And I was very, very pleased um, to have someone actually go inside the X's and O's of what was happening on the soccer field. They said that the Red Bulls uh, pressed with four players and not with the three that they had pressed uh, earlier, and, and they just simply had no idea what to do with it. So... You know, again, Grello with the chip, 67th minute, New York hung on and hung on and hung on. Um, Some Columbus fans, I think, were a little undone that New York seemed to be getting a few calls. I will not disagree that New York certainly got some advantageous calls, Uh, but they, they finished again with the better of the possession, especially down the second half and uh New York is two oh and one on the season, seven points in March after a couple of very slow starts back to back the last few years uh Red Bulls and Red Bulls fans have to feel really good about themselves they
1: do uh, the team has only started with seven points out of the first nine three times in history now, and it was I believe it was oh four and oh seven um not. The, any of those starts necessarily started into something better at the end of the year, but, um, you know, it, I, I think I, I personally disagree with the narrative that, you know, the games don't matter until later in the year because if you're they picking up points early, then you're in a good position towards the end of the year to, uh, hold on, even though you're going to play more in conference games towards the end of the, way, the year, the way the season breaks out now. Um, just a couple other errant thoughts. Uh, there, there was something a little satisfying about Gorilla, um, scoring on a massive chip from outside because Federico Higuain has been the guy who tries to chip Luis Robles every time the crew <laughs> plays Red Bulls. I've asked Luis about it, and he's like, yeah, that guy does try and chip me a lot. So there was something a little satisfying for me just watching one float over Steve Clark. Um, and, you know, there was a, an interesting article from Pro today because they actually made the uh, Higuain red card the play of the week, um, and it turns out that Pro has... Claims that they sat down with every team and explained that dissent was going to be their main thing that they were trying to enforce this year. Not verbal dissent, because verbal dissent they claim that you could get a you know you could resolve with either a uh, you know gentle warning or or some playful banter. I think they said.
0: Is it like Josie's playful Yeah, well, in
1: Apparently not. I guess
0: FIFA. That was less has got a I different think.
1: idea about it. But okay. but apparently what what pro is going to be cracking down on very much is. Um, physical dissent. So Iguain punching the ball and then pointing wildly at the ref, that was considered card worthy. So note to everybody, don't make gestures for cards, don't punch the ball, don't kick it away in frustration, but mouth off all you want. Apparently that's okay under pro.
0: Right, and so it wasn't, in fact, for the foul that he may or may not have committed on the play, it was for the descent that he got Yeah, the, the, the
1: statute does show dissent as the reason for the second foul. Yeah.
0: So New York's outshot, 13-15, but that really doesn't matter again. uh, The midfield triangle of Question and Felipe and Dax um, getting the job done once again. Again with another makeshift defensive line where newly signed Anthony Wallace uh, joined the club, uh, played uh, the entire game, and again young Mike Miazga uh, is able to escape without massive uh, game uh, point uh, jeopardizing challenges, and seven defenders have played for this team in the first three weeks, and now you have another break, another week off, where Ronald Zubar and Roy Miller can continue to heal. But, you know, this team's given up only two goals in three matches, and um, yes, although there was a penalty kick that's, I think, still orbiting Neptune uh, against them, Things are all going in the right direction. Jesse Marsh uh, said this week on Extra Time Radio that the team is ahead of schedule in terms of playing the type of game that that he wants to play, and uh, yes, it is really early, and yes, I think a lot of long-term uh, and long-time fans of the team have, as you had mentioned, Dan, they've done this before, although not for a while. It's It's really just so very early, but at the at the at, nevertheless they're the ones looking down on everyone else from the top of the east and um and you've got to feel good about it
1: you do and you know i think there's a natural tendency in this fan base to try and get out in front of whatever the the expected collapse is going to be so that <laughs> you can you can emotionally shield yourself from that pain <laughs> when it happens um but you know looking at the the league stat sheet it, it's kind of impressive uh the red bulls are third for goals overall in the league Uh, behind San Jose and tied with Vancouver and, sorry, I'm just pulling this up, L.A. Uh, Dallas is also tied for first. Um, They are fourth for assists, uh, fifth for shots on goal, fifth for blocks, uh, third for offsides, go figure, um, Mm. but 16th for fouls committed. So, um, you know, I think there's definitely a, a different feeling this year with the team. Um, it's it's been evident most of the weeks. I don't know if we saw it so much against Sporting Kansas City, but we certainly did against DC, and now at uh, Columbus. So uh, I I think there are good reasons to be optimistic. I understand people will expect there will be a collapse. It's hard to stay that good all season, especially if you're playing a high press. But um, you know there, the the bye week will certainly help. Although I'm frustrated that we've now seen two in five weeks.
0: Yeah, it's a little strange. And, of course, the bye week necessitated by Montreal's continued charge in the CONCACAF Champions League, the league, uh, I think, kind of suggesting very strongly that we give uh, give them back their, their match day so they can get healthy and fit for their semifinal. So uh, let's go to Bull and Cow. It was a fantastic night in, in Columbus. New York waltzes in and outs with the three points. Your Bull of the Week, sir.
1: Um, I'm, I'm torn between Bradley uh, for... Converting the penalty kick and the assists on the turnover for Grella and Grella himself, because, you know, if you're going to score a lovely goal like that, uh, you deserve some plaudits. So I, I will kick it back to you with those two in mind.
0: Soccer term. I'm going to give it to Grella. I think uh, I've not been kind to, to to Mr. Grella over over his time with the club, uh, and he certainly proved me wrong. It was a great event, and for the thousandth goal, he is now a trivia question, regardless of how what what kind of contribution he'll make in the future, and uh, very happy for him. and uh, just a great story all around that the thousandth goal comes from a local guy, who's fighting really hard to get his minutes in the team, and I, I thought it was great. So, Mike Grella, congratulations, your first bull of the week. And on a night like this, where you get three points on the road, is there a cow? Uh, I'm, I'm still trying to avoid giving it to the other
1: team because uh, Higuain would be an easy choice uh, for mm-hmm. his temper tantrum. Uh, I'll give it to Sal Zizo for that miss. I think that was a harder one to miss than it was to score.
0: Yeah, no, I'm going to give it to Iguain. You 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 know you're on a card. You're pushing for, to to get the tying goal. And Columbus is a team that usually scores lots of late goals, and Iguain is a big driver of that. And to take himself out of the match, and he he. You know, he certainly wasn't happy before the, the the red card, and he definitely wasn't happy afterwards. But once you're on that yellow, throwing the ball around just makes absolutely no sense. So uh, it's that hot, argy blood that we know so well on seeing red. So uh, Iguain and Zizo, Iguainizo our cows of the week. New York being 20 and 1 and first place in the east has been uh, climbing the power rankings and I don't know if you're a power rankings aficionado I think we talked a little bit about power rankings on the show last week but finally Sports Illustrated has caught on and has the Red Bulls at third I think both the league and ESPN have them as high as second and you know power rankings mean absolutely nothing except when you're trying to spin a narrative about Uh, You know your team and how good they are. So it's nice to see the journalists around the league that write at different organizations uh, finally start to get it right.
1: I mean, so many of them had put Columbus up on high that for the Red Bulls to come in and knock them off successfully, I I don't think they had a choice. Uh, I think you and I both shared a laugh about Sports Illustrated saying they were uh, no longer under the radar, (laughs) which I I mean, in fairness, we're... We're not really focused on a lot of other teams. No,
0: we're not actually focused on any of
1: them. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, that that DC performance should have put
0: them on the radar, but
1: so be it. Uh, You know, we'll see what happens.
0: We will all see what happens. Of course, uh, the Red Bulls, not the only Red Bulls team to play over the weekend, because on Saturday afternoon, in front of a very intimate crowd at Chile Red Bull Arena, John Wallenek, our guest tonight, uh, ran out his USL, two, his USL club, the New York Red Bulls 2, Played a scoreless draw against the Rochester Rhinos, and this was a really interesting team. And and you you can tell us on, either on Facebook or Twitter, or you can call, leave us a message, or you can um, write us an email about how you feel about us. Uh, spending time talking about the Red Bulls, too, this is a team that 's going to really be made up of three pots of players. One is going to be Red Bull's bench players that need uh, quality minutes. two is going to be academy guys and they were a number of u a teens that played in this match, including forward Derek Etienne that had a couple of good looks late and third is a is other class of u of u s l players. That are kind of living the dream of being professional soccer players that may never have the quality to make the first, uh, the first team, um, the MLS uh, Red Bulls, but are getting paid to play soccer. And so it's an interesting mix from John Wallenek, and we'll, we'll hear from him in a little bit talking about how he mixes those three groups. Basically, he's not going to know who his roster is going to change drastically week by week. And not only that, um, Jesse Marsh at one point, uh, earlier this uh, week, I think at Big Apple Soccer as well, had said as many as nine Red Bulls from the first team are going to drop down because Red Bulls 2 does have a game, I believe it's at 3.30 on Saturday afternoon at Red Bull Arena against Toronto FC 2. So if you are jonesing for some soccer... The tickets, in some cases, may be free. In other cases, they're very affordable. Ten dollars. I mean, if uh, come on out. I know it's it's a, an off day for the Red Bulls, but um, snazzy uniforms, Leo Stoltz, and
1: uh, there you go. What else are you going to do on Saturday? There you go. Um, and, and let's not forget that the uh, Red Bulls, too, finally announced their much-anticipated Manhattan uh, plans that they'll be playing at Columbia University's uh, Baker Athletic Complex for the second half of the season. So there will be only one team in Manhattan,
0: and weirdly That's it will nice.
1: be a USL Pro one.
0: There you go, that's right A minor league team in uh, in the tip of Manhattan So uh, if you're interested, go on out It really is stars of tomorrow And it's a great chance to uh, To sit in some really swank seats At Red Bull Arena, which I know for a lot of people uh, May not get another opportunity to So when we're back at Seeing Red We're going to talk to John Wallenack, Coach of the New York Red Bulls too, As well as a Metro and Red Bulls legend We're going to take a quick break And we'll be right back You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back on Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com, Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. And folks, tonight's guest is the only member of the MetroStars or Red Bulls to have scored in an MLS Cup Final. His 167 all-time appearances for the club are second most all-time, and his 36 goals across all competitions are sixth most in club history. Our guest made history this past Saturday, coaching the first ever match for the New York Red Bulls 2 in the USL. John Wolanek, welcome to Seeing Red.
2: Ah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: We're very happy to have you. John, your your first Red Bulls 2 match was was Saturday. It was a scoreless draw with Rockchester. Were you happy with the result? Share with uh, our listeners a little bit about your impressions of your first game at the helm.
2: Yeah, I mean, my first impression is that it was really exciting. I mean, um, obviously to be um, part of this club and a part of something... New, a new team, a new professional team in the area to, you know, add to this club's value to the, to the area. Um, to be a part of the first game was really exciting. And, uh, you know, I think it went pretty well for us. So we, we got off to a little bit of a shaky start, I think. And, you know, guys were, were a bit nervous, maybe feeling the moment as, as I was. And, you know, as we got into the game and we, as we got going, uh, I think, the the guys, uh, felt more and more comfortable. And I think that showed in, in our play. And in our performance, and you know, by the end, I thought we we were the better team and, and showed it, but you know, weren't quite able to to put across that one goal to get us the win. But overall, I, I thought it was a great great outcome.
0: Who stood out for you on uh, now? Do you, I'm I'm just kind of curious. Do you call the team Red Bulls too? Do you just refer to yourself as the Red Bulls? It's it's kind of a it's a strange little name.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, we have we have a little two on our on our crest, so. Um, usually guys call it Rebels two or, or NYRB two.
0: Got it. Who who stood out for you in week one in your first match?
2: Yeah, so um Colin Heffron is definitely a guy that uh, I would point out. Uh he made the USL Team of the Week. Um, you know, started off the game as a left back and then through an injury, um, was forced to slide over to center back and, you know, took it in stride and did very well and was a guy that was uh, with our first team in preseason um, for a month or so to start off the year, and ended up signing with the USL team. And you know, he's a great kid that, that works really hard and uh, is really interested in, in making a career at this with this club. So uh, it was great to see him get off to a good start.
1: John, given the uh, the way that the season started for MLS, I don't think uh, a lot of fans have clarity on how the USL teams are allowed to transfer players back and forth with the MLS teams. Can you speak a little bit to what we can expect for player movement between the teams during the year?
2: Yeah, so um you know this this whole project came out of MLS um deciding to partner with USL um and then it was a way to improve the reserve uh league or reserve game system. Um so it's it's meant to be a place where Younger MLS players can can get games, and at the same time produce a team where there's a bit more consistency, and a bit more uh, build up to games, a bit more um, of a of a realness to the games. You know, that they count in the league standings and stuff like that. So that these guys, these younger guys, can develop and uh, you know get real minutes uh, while being on an MLS roster. We all know that the, the younger guys sometimes have trouble getting stepping on the field and getting real minutes in games. So. Um that's the genesis of it. Um we do have USL players signed to just USL contracts. Uh so the loan system works in that you arrange for a certain number of players from the MLS to be loaned down to the USL and they can, you know, do just some paperwork, go back and forth between MLS and USL. And then you have a certain number of players signed to USL contracts who are just with the USL team. And at the same time, similar to reserve games, you're allowed to use Um, a number of academy players as well. So we're we're using it as a three-pronged development team where, you know, the younger MLS players, the USL players, and our academy players are getting uh, real professional games.
1: So given that you may have uh, a lot of players moving in and out of the roster over the course of the USL Pro season, how do you personally approach building a, a playing system or a sense of team when so many of those pieces might be changing?
2: Yeah, well, the natural thing is to follow what our first team is doing. Um you know, we take on what, what the club philosophy is and what Jesse's philosophy is and, and, you know, just basically make it modified slightly for, for the level of player or for the, the fact that, you know, uh, players can be interchangeable and then keep it as, as consistent as possible so that the players, when they move back and forth, still have familiarity with the system and, you know, Hopefully, it has a sense of kind of interchangeable parts, where uh, no matter which team you're playing with, you still you still know your responsibilities and, and you still know what what is expected of you when you step on the field.
0: So, in that case, John, we can expect the same kind of pressing style that the first team's kind of playing right now, and then I guess that pushes all the way down into the academy, right?
2: Yes, uh, that's a uh, something that's uh, in the process, so to speak. <laughs> uh, you know, the first team has been, uh, together a bit longer, obviously, so we're, we're trying to get there, um, and, it, and it may take some time, but, uh, you know, those guys, uh, MLS guys that are being loaned down are, are, are involved in with it, uh, game in, game out, week to week, and training, train, day in, day out. So, you know, uh, it's just about bringing some of the USL guys up to that speed, and then at the same time, bringing those academy players up to that speed. The, the good thing that we have now is that, you know, the uh, MLS guys have been in training. Sometimes we do double days for those guys, and the academy players are getting called up to training. So now that we have a, a build-up to the week, even though maybe the MLS guys aren't there every training, um, at least there's sessions where these guys can get together and and uh, get get familiar with each other and and build on that philosophy.
0: John um Jesse had said he was quoted in Big Apple Soccer by saying that for your squad results are less important than the style of play as the head coach how do you take that to heart obviously you want to produce and you want to win some matches how do you kind of straddle both uh, both objectives
2: well one is uh you know how do i define producing you know i think that would be the core of what my answer would be is you know if, if as long as my focus is on my ability to produce to produce players for the future, then all my decisions should be based on how do I produce players for the future, if that means making a sub at a certain time or playing a certain lineup or um you know using academy players you know even though that may not be um. The decision I would make to win the game, I can still make those decisions because I, I know that producing for me is not necessarily winning games. Now, winning games is still part of development, so it's going to be something that, uh, we strive for and we need to push for, but, um, you know, weighing the, the importance of winning and development, um, you know, it's going to be a tricky balance for sure. I'm not going to kid anybody, but, um, you know, I know that my, the expectations of, of of my bosses is, you know, to produce players and to develop, develop players. So um, they've given me that, that guidance, and, you know, I can move forward in that way. I'm a competitive guy, but at the same time, I know what my job is.
1: John, uh, moving into this role, you know, you're working pretty closely with Jesse and Ali, um, and you're also working with Ibrahim Sakaya, uh, who was on the field last year for the first team and is now... Um helping you out, I'm just curious to hear about what your relationship's been like with them and what it's like been trying to develop uh camaraderie and a relationship with them.
2: yeah, so far it's been great i mean i'm I'm lucky to have um relationships with Ali and Jesse beforehand and Ebra obviously beforehand so um luckily there there's not a huge learning curve there as far as uh, getting to know their personalities and and building relationships um both Ali and Jesse are very open in that process, so it's been great, um, being around them and being involved in, in, in our process of building a club and, and, um, instilling a philosophy. Um, and, you know, I'm still attending first team sessions and see what Jesse does every day, what he's saying to his players and, you know, how they're producing on, um, how they're doing on the field. So then I know if those, unless guys come to my session and aren't doing quite the same things, then I know there's something that has to be, has changed whether it be how my approach or their approach. You know, at least I, I know what's going on day to day. Um as far as Eber goes, it's it's great to have him on the club. I mean one of the you know, we this team, you know, is focused on developing players, we're also focused on developing staff. So I, I get the opportunity to develop as a head coach and I also get to partake in, in the process of helping Ibra in, in his transition from being a player to being a coach and helping him develop as a, as a coach at, at, with
1: this uh, with this team. Sure. Uh, moving away from Red Bulls 2 and focusing a little bit more on you, uh, you know, you got a chance to be honored before the home opener this year, which was a, a great honor. I just wanted to hear about what that was like. And, as, you know, was it a little uncomfortable or weird given what everything that was going on in the uh, ESC at the time?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it was a great day. I mean, Rebel does a great job with that stuff. They're, they're, they do pretty well. They do very well in, in, in treating their ex players and, um, in, in a proper fashion, you know, um, they wanted to do right by me and and make sure I had a good day and, you know, my family and friends were there up in the suite level. And that was really cool. And, you know, to go on the field and, and, and to have them say some some kind words about you is always nice and, and there was a you know sort sure of a little, little apprehension there with, with what was going to happen with it being the first game and stuff but um you know I'm pretty confident in, in in the club and what I've done for the club and um you know I was pretty sure that it, it was going to be end up being a good day and it was.
0: John, when people think about your career, you know, we're having the 20th year of MLS. You have been a big part of the history of this franchise. I'm hoping you could maybe uh, reminisce with us and our listeners a little bit and take us through. You know, when I think about your play and when I think about key moments for you, I think about three key moments. So I'm going to ask you in just a little short burst um, tell us what, what you think about when you go back to, first of all, that amazing 2003 goal against Columbus that wound up being third in the voting for MLS goal of its first decade. If you could just walk our fans uh, through your recollections of that.
2: Yeah, so it, it's actually a really strange day. I was, I was supposed to start that day, and it was, I still remember the, the walking into the locker room and Bob Ravi asking me you know, to come, in, come into his office and told me I wasn't going to start. And I ended up sitting on the bench for 90 minutes and, and didn't come into the game until Clint Mathis um Somewhat removed himself from the game in overtime. Back in those days, we still put we played overtime yep. to decide ties. Zero-zero uh, tie, and uh, technically, I think it was my first touch in the 99th minute of the game to win one nothing. And uh, you know, I, I remember that game very fondly uh, for a number of reasons. Obviously, because of the goal, and you know, people still remind me and ask me about it, about it to this day. I can't believe it's. Well, we it's a long time
0: ago. A long
2: time ago. <laughs> but I also had a bunch of friends that came through, and they they sat in the mezzanine level and painted Mohanick on their shirts and stuff and chanted 90 minutes we want Mohanick. So <laughs> uh, it was a, it was a, a a really interesting day and uh, you know it, obviously it's it's one of the great moments in my that I think back of in, in my career and, and think back of family. Say
0: so, okay so goal number two, 2008 we're in Houston. We get the the win over a favored team in in New York, and then uh, you with the cherry on top uh, against the Dynamo in Old Robertson Stadium, and you break out the thriller. Can you can you take uh, our fans through that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so I mean, uh, it's an interesting year for for the team and for myself personally. Uh, you know, I, I didn't get a lot of time during the year, uh, and in fact, I didn't score a regular season goal that year, uh, and due to some injuries and some um uh, decisions in the playoffs end up getting a starting role in the first game against Houston and then the second game in Houston and uh you know it was just a great feeling to get that goal for a number of reasons, obviously because it was you know I hadn't had a great year and it was exciting in the playoffs game to get a goal um it was like you said it was kind of the, the you know feeling the win in Houston it was a hot day I was so tired and uh you know, obviously Dane had a phenomenal game and it makes that long run. And, you know, it the 80 something minute. It's, it's hard to trust that Dane's going to run the, the length of the field, but I did. I had trust in him and, you know, he beats that last guy, serves it across and gives me an easy tap. And it was just a, a little bit of a release of, you know, excitement and apprehension and all that stuff that goes into playoff games and long seasons and heat and fatigue and everything but at the end of the day it was it was a it was a personal bet that uh made with a, a member of the staff that I wouldn't do it and uh you know with his <laughs> personal pride. I I decided that it had to be done. <laughs> Maybe I was a little delirious at the time but well, it
0: was hot, as you said. And then last goal, yeah. of course, uh, the goal against Columbus once again uh, in L.A. We, we all wish we had a little bit more than 90 seconds to celebrate it uh, before Columbus yeah. swept right down the field and, and took the lead again. But just uh, if you could quickly walk us through your goal in MLS Cup 08. Yeah, talking about roller
2: coaster moments, you know, that's, uh, that's top for me, for sure. Um, you know, I, I felt like you know, this was, uh, again, the same season. It was a bit of a strange season. We kind of collapsed towards the end of the season and, you know, kind of skated into the playoffs luckily and, and then went on that, that run. And, uh, you know, it was actually probably one of the best games we played all year. I, I know it was one of the best games I've played, I've played in my career. And, uh, you know, we we're down, obviously, one nothing. And then, you know, once again, Dean finds a little space and beats a, and, Again, I had trust that he was going to put the ball out where it needed to be, and he did, and ended up scoring. And it was one of those moments where I just felt so confident that we were going to win that game. And I don't ever know if I felt that confident. You know, usually when you're the better team and you're down and you make that time goal, you see momentum carries you through. But like you said, it wasn't too much longer that we were, you know, on the opposite side of the field picking, picking the ball out of the night after Chad Marshall <clears throat> had her off a set piece like Columbus did all year. Um, and, you know, we trained a lot on, on trying to, um, you know, stop it from, from torn on us on set pieces. And, and it was disappointing that, um, you know, we weren't able to, to hold, hold the tie. And, uh, cause I think, I really think if we would have held it for another couple of minutes, that our momentum would have taken us through and we would end up winning that game. But, uh, still a great moment. And, you know, a lot of people bring up the fact that. a you know, you know, you know Rebel players going to final and um it's a nice feeling, but I'm now <laughs> just being a part of the staff. I hope that changes soon.
0: Yes, I think we all do. John Wallenek, we're, we're we're a bunch of numbers for the New York Red Bulls. Number fifteen is certainly his most frequent one. John, we uh we appreciate you spending some time with us tonight and we look forward to seeing you and Red Bulls 2 this season.
2: Awesome, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and uh you know, best of luck to love you guys for the rest of the season as well.
0: Thanks so much, John. We're back with your messages after this. It's seeingred at backheel.com. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, New York Soccer Roundup, Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. I'm going away next week. I'm on vacation. So I will leave you and Dave to figure out if there will be a show or not <laughs> before D.C. Do you know that the Red Bulls can win the Atlantic Cup? by week five of the MLS I season. I did actually
1: know that. I'm looking I forward believe the,
0: to it. I, I think the Atlantic Cup uh, is was either shipped off to D.C., which I guess could be just so it's present uh, for that game, and that that's really weird. Yeah. But, Yep, so be it. Uh, folks, there are so many ways you can get to Seeing Red, Facebook, Twitter, you can find us on Stitcher, you can find us on iTunes, you also now can call us at 973-602-9161 anytime, day or night, and share with us your thoughts on the Red Bulls. That's once again 973-602-9161 call anytime, we have three calls tonight or you can write us an email at seeingredny at gmail.com and uh, we would love to hear from you. So three calls lined up, and the first is from our good friend, Bill.
3: What's up, boys? This is uh, Bill from Rockin' County. More important, Bill from Section 132. Uh, I wanted to call you guys before the Columbus game, never got a chance to, and I was going to tell everybody to uh, take it easy after our first two games, jumping on the bandwagon so quick. Uh, the first game, we had the... Curse of the new, newly married man, Don Dwyer couldn't hit the right side of the barn. And then the uh, second game, we're playing D.C., and I don't know if this has ever happened. Maybe you guys know. Has the team ever gone from worst to first, back to worst again? I think they look horrible. And I thought this weekend was going to be a tough game for us, but the boys came out. And they played great. I thought it was a really good game. And uh I one last question for you guys. Everybody always talks about the best twosome in the league. Is there a better threesome in the league? Sam, Dax, and BWP, I thought they looked great. And the way they worked with each other, I thought they looked great. I think it's only a matter of time to Philippe and uh, Sasha to get on board. You know, it's going to take them a couple weeks to fit in. But, uh, I like what I see so far, and last week I was going to tell you I wasn't jumping on so quick, but I'm jumping on now. Boys, I'll talk to you soon. Take care.
0: Okay, so you know, obviously you're thinking about players, a, a triumvirate of players that are doing well—not the traditional triumvirate as we call it, in the midfield—but um, Sam and Dax and BWP are certainly playing well. Any other troikas in the league that you, that, that come to mind when you think about players making it happen?
1: Um, you know, I'm not—I'm not really think. Yeah,
0: I can't really think of any
1: other uh, trios that are running the midfield the way that the Red Bulls are, but I, I think the key is it's not necessarily BWP and Sam and Dax, which make a weird sort of lopsided triangle on the <laughs> right, but it, it's it's Sasha and Felipe and Dax. Um, you know, I, I've seen some, some mixed praise and jeering for both Sasha and Felipe because I, I don't think they have the name recognition and the familiarity with a lot of these fans, um, but I think that... The, the trio, that trio is the one to look out for. Um, you know, if you go back to the DC game and look at that turnover that Felipe forced in midfield, um, which, you know, generated a ball to BWP who gave it to Sam, you know, it's interesting to watch the sort of front three link up with the middle three. And that, that to me has been the big difference
0: for the team this year. How about you, Mark? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, if there's one team that's figured it all out this year that isn't the Red Bulls, of course, it's FC Dallas, having yet another strong start. I think the last two seasons, and now in 2015, they've started very strong, and... I mean, listen. They they lost on away goals to Seattle last year in the playoffs. They're a very good team. There you've got Blas Perez and Fabian Castillo and um, second-year Mantesho Acandelli. Those three guys already have three goals and uh, excuse me, five goals and three assists combined. And that New York plays Dallas uh, away in May, and that will be a a big East versus West test, assuming that the two teams can keep uh, possession uh, of their, uh, of their form rather. And then of course, you know, you have to think about Seattle when you've got Dempsey and you've got, um, uh, you know, Obafemi Martin's healthy. And, you know, in addition, you've got a guy like Lamar Nagel who's feeding them or, or Marco Papa or something like that. So there are a lot of kind of attacking Troikas. I don't see, Another team, you know, that, that kind of has this, that is playing this style right now and playing it as well as New York. So it'll be interesting to see. Here is our good friend uh, Julian Bywater calling in from London because we're an international show, baby. Julian?
4: Hi, fellas. It's is Julian, a.k.a. Dick Sachs from the ISC in London calling. Uh, I wonder if uh, you guys feel that we, we're a bit too heavy uh, with defenders in our squad. It seems to be, um, it seems to be that Jesse's got quite a lot of defenders in, what with this new fella coming in, uh, right back. Was it Wallace the weekend? Um, that maybe we, we, we're too heavy in defenders, especially defenders that haven't really got the experience that we need, although it's good to have a lot of defenders, and so far the defence is holding up pretty well. Um, and also just one other point to raise with you fellas. Do you feel that with our, um, faster uh, energy drink? style of football which I love and I can't, I can't fault it um, do you feel that we're leaving ourselves open in the back too much and once team sets us out um, that we could become an easy target but once the ball's a certain distance up the field teams are going to slaughter us when they get us on the counter-attack and uh, rip our defence to pieces um, it was something Jesse kind of touched on that he was going to stick backs uh, in front of the back four at half-time on the MSG broadcast the, from the game Saturday I uh, just wonder how you guys feel about that. Um, all my healthy, for ISC. Thanks for doing the show, and um, keep up the good work, uh, Dave, Ben and Mark. Cheers, guys.
0: So do we have too many defenders on this team? I mean, the, you know, teams will, as, as Julian says, they will figure out the high press, and they'll figure out long balls and countering eventually, yes?
1: Well, they will, and I, I certainly agree that the team is defender-heavy if, if only because they're so lacking up top. I mean, after Bradley... You've got a bang and maybe Gorilla and Peggy if he decides to come back and not much else. Um and and so I think there is definitely a concern. It's not so much that they're heavy on defenders, it's just that there's not a lot of depth up top. Um yes. and in terms of being exposed on the counter, um, you know, one of the things that struck me as I'm thinking about the, the past three games is you know, under Baca and under Petkey, you had a lot of overlap with the, the wingbacks going right. forward and swapping with the, the wings in the midfield. And that, that could lead to problems on the counter in the past. But as I'm thinking about it, and maybe my memory's a little shot for these games, I, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not remembering Roy Miller or Chris Duvall necessarily being really far forward and trying to provide service in. It, it has been a lot of Lloyd Sam. Um, and whoever's on the left, whether it's Gorilla or Zizo or Dane Richards, um, contributing that. And so, uh, you know, part of me wants to say that they seem less likely to get hit on the counter than they have in past years, because the you know the center backs are always going to be there, um, and and the issues in the past have been down the flanks. So for me, I'm not. I mean, yes, the system will eventually get figured out. Somebody will scout them well, and somebody will come up with a plan and. You know, they'll figure out how to get Miazga to, to give up a sloppy foul or something in the box, and that'll be that. But um, I, personally, I'm not as worried about the counter as I would have been in years past.
0: It's interesting that at times so far this season, because the wingbacks are pushed up so far, it almost is a two man back line, the kind of which we haven't seen since the early Hans Baca days. And if you remember. People t- the Costa Rican coach at the time was saying, well, you know, New York doesn't really play a four-man back line, and so Miller's kind of doing it wrong, and I really want to see him play as a proper left back, um, so it'll be interesting to see as... Uh, Marsh is asking them to get more involved, and there's plenty of times where, even in the Kansas City game, it was Felipe and Dax checking back and covering off of counters, not so much uh, the center backs, because they're also pushed up. So, listen, it's going to happen, and Marsh will have to find a way to evolve his pressure game to figure out how to make sure he's covering if New York starts giving up a a lot of breakaways. So uh, it's a good question, though, and it's one that we'll certainly uh, all wait and see how things go. Uh, Our last email, excuse me, our last voicemail of the night is coming from Todd in Jersey. Here's Todd.
3: Hey, guys, how's it going? It's Todd from Princeton. Uh, Sorry for bothering you so much on Twitter, but I'm very excited about this season's New York Red Bulls uh, team. Listen, got a question for you. Last year, I went out and bought myself a Tim Cahill jersey. I love Tim Cahill. I think he's a great player. I love his attitude. I love that he wants to put in the fight every time. And I got to be honest, I was a little disappointed that he left the way he did. I think that some people could have some bad vibes about it. Tim's got to do what he's got to do. And I still respect him. I still love him. I don't think I'm going to be watching any of his games in China. But, you know, my question for you is, when is the right time to wear a Tim Cahill jersey Back at Red Bull Arena. Am I going to take uh, you know, a hard time from it, from other fans? Uh, you know, is it is it ironic at this point? I don't know. I'm very concerned about this. You know, what is the etiquette of wearing a Tim Cahill jersey? So, sorry for bothering you so much on Twitter. Very excited about the season. And looking forward to hearing your answer. Talk to
0: you soon. Bye bye. So you know what what jerseys can you not really wear to Red Bull Arena? I mean, for me, showing up in a Marquez jersey is not exactly <laughs> uh, ko- kosher no, for that, me.
1: That's total hipster at this point, Mark. Come on. Yeah,
0: it really is total hipster. You got to have a fedora on if you're going to be. Uh, I, I guess fedoras are now done. So <laughs> you have to have a Nat Borchers beard if you're going to be uh, if you're going to be wearing a. A Marquez jersey, but seriously, I mean, I, I think if Todd wants to wear his Cahill jersey, he's a fan. I, I don't really see any problem with that. Uh,
1: I so I think there are two rules about jerseys at Red Bull Arena. One is that if you're buying them, never put a player's name on the back because they will <laughs> undoubtedly be gone within six months.
0: Okay, it's a new world. Oh, yeah,
1: we'll see. It's a new I'm world. Sure, somebody will get traded or waived at some point. Uh Um, But on the other hand, because there's been so much turnover in this team, you know, I I don't – so long as you're wearing a home team jersey and not something from Chelsea or Liverpool, um, you know, I don't think anybody particularly cares. I've always been impressed at the sort of long history of of player names on the back of jerseys, whether it's, you know, key jerseys throughout the years – or uh, I've, I've seen some Rafa Marcus jerseys. I saw a Medi Bellucci jersey while he was still on the team and was shocked about it at the time.
0: But that's that's totally hipster Well, now.
1: I mean, obvi- especially because he's...
0: Especially now, <laughs>
1: yes. Elsewhere. Yes. Um, yes. So I, I don't think there's any statue of limitations about when a Cahill jersey is appropriate. Nobody's, you know, Cahill's departure le- rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but I don't think anybody's going to look at somebody... Particularly oddly, just because they have a Cahill jersey on. There, there are plenty of other transgressions going on with uh, foreign jerseys being worn <laughs> that that the sort of people who would be worried about those sort of things can go after.
0: You know, I mean, I think for me the biggest thing what annoys me more, and, I, and you and I have talked about this, although not recently, is folks, if you're coming to the game, wear a Red Bulls jersey. Don't wear a Barca jersey. Don't wear an Inter jersey, nor a Chelsea jersey, nor a Man U jersey, or certainly a Man City jersey. And come and wear the shirt of the team that's actually playing in front of you. That's just my little editorial. Um, oh, we have emails as well. E-mails. I a couple of e- emails. We have some old-fashioned emails. Here's Justin Monroe, Brooklyn via LA, who writes, three games, seven points, top of the East, and the high-pressing approach looks great from BWP back to Felipe and Dax. Am I the only one who's concerned about Paranel's performance versus Columbus? By the way, Damian Paranel was named to the MLS team of the week this week. Dax praised him on last week's pod in MLS named him to the team of the week presumably because he made some important blocks and took some knocks for the team but his passing out of the back and in the attack was far from sharp and threatened to expose the predictably shaky defense does he need to play balls to all to play all balls to Dax to distribute Robles was the real hero in the back in my opinion when Zubar returns what do you see happening will he and Paranel team up will Zubar potentially replace Paranel and pair with Miazga are AJB and we met strictly U.S. Open Cup players and injury replacements. Love the pod and the editorial work you guys do. Keep up the greatness, Justin, Brooklyn, via, via L.A. Uh, Dax has said, I believe, on the show last week that uh, that he believes that Damien is our best defender right now. He's certainly, I think, the only defender, along with Chris, uh, who's played in every single match this season of the three. Uh, he certainly has shown more than, I think, Red Bulls thought, considering he played, uh, I think we talked about this previously he played eight minutes last season yep. so i'm curious any of your impressions of damien Paranell? i unfortunately have not
1: uh, he hasn't gaffed badly enough that i would have noticed him which i guess is the highest praise i can give a defender at this point <laughs> um you know I, I the general complaints i've heard about him is that he is relatively slow and i think he's a center back yeah well i i think you know I'll, uh, Thinking back over the past couple of years with Olave, you know, Olave was big and tough, but he also had some wheels on him where, yes, you, get, you know, if, if he made a mistake, he was trucking back and yeah. making the tackle to, to kill a, a counterattack. So I, you know, I think losing that speed, um, is something that people are going to notice. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, the, the back, the goals the back line have given up, it, it's basically been on two set pieces so far. And there's been nothing from the run of play. So, you know, they, they seem to have been doing okay. There was, a, there was one stat during the uh, Columbus game that stuck out to me, which is the team had 45 clearances, which I, I don't know what the regular number is, but that seems very high to me. Um, so the defense has certainly been busy, but it seems that they're they're doing the job okay. That's, that's yeah, just me. I, I, and, and for when Zubar comes back, um, you know, I think Marsh is pretty high... Uh, on Miazga right now from the comments I've heard. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was a Zubar-Miazga pairing
0: rather than a uh, Zubar-Paranel, but who knows? That, that would really be something. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all I'm going to say about that. Peter Knox from Brooklyn, friend of the show, says, to the voices in my head, thank you for your quality community support of our club. I'll get right to it. The good. We're not just undefeated. We're on a two-game winning streak, proving we can win at home or away against hot teams. Remember f- previous years where it almost took two months to find a win. Not this year. Forget big names. If it doesn't matter who's on the back line, we're winning in 2015. Thank you, Martian Company. It's all we can ask for. That's the good. Here's the bad. What's up with this schedule? It's MLS Week Five, and our team is on its second bye. I want to see games. Keep momentum. Go back to the arena. Why would these be bye weeks be spread? Why wouldn't these bye weeks be spread throughout the season? for when we can legitimately use them, boo MLS. And, of course, again, as we said earlier in the show, we are doing a solid to our neighbors uh, to the north who are prepping for their second leg of the um, CONCACAF Champions League semis. Here's the ugly. We won definitely, we won definitively at home against D.C., and it's great that more media people were able to find the arena, but where are the fans? I went and had a blast in my section, but where is everyone else? Moo to the cowards that no-show when this team is giving us all they have. That's all. At least we'll stay undefeated for another week, and cheers, Peter Knox. So, you know, I I think there were so many factors into um, reasons why the the club maybe did not uh, bring more ticket holders into the arena. I think the weather played a bit of a role, and you you saw the cold weather take its toll throughout MLS this past week. Oh, yeah. I mean, Columbus was cold, It was in the twenties at kickoff, and the fans understand that there are better days ahead. And uh, you know, DC as well has had a little bit of challenge drawing so far this year. Philly, um, these are not places in New England. I mean, New England in a
1: snowstorm. Yeah, it it was. It was brutal because you had so many teams in the Northeast playing at home this last week. So, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. think the 21 announced, and granted that wasn't butts and seats, but mm-hmm. um, you know, for a March game, and this team has never done terribly well with March games, that was a, a pretty reasonable crowd. It was loud enough. It was good enough. Um, it It could have been better, but it's hard to want to complain about it.
0: The thing is, it'll be really interesting to see what kind of crowd is in place on Friday the 17th, because the ticket office will have had a full week, a full month, excuse me, to sell in from the 22nd of March to the 17th of April to sell in. Mm-hmm. And if the team continues to do well, if they win or get a, a, a draw or even just play well uh, next uh, a week from Saturday at DC, I would hope uh, for the first Friday night game at Red Bull Arena this year, and uh, there'll be two more down the stretch that you're going to see a larger crowd. Obviously. Friday at 7 is not an ideal time to be getting to Harrison Um, if you are driving from elsewhere, especially if you are attempting to return from work, pick up your family, and head to the arena, but I'm hoping that um, the team is well supported in that match. And once again, uh, we talked about it last week, it's a strange schedule this year. The team plays three home games in the span of 12 days in late April, then they uh, dance around, then they go from... Let's see. They go from June 24th to August 9th, June 24th to August 9th, with only one home game in between uh, in that stretch. That's a long uh, stretch of away games. And of course, there should be some open cup in there as well. And then and as you,
1: there, there will be an internet. Yes, family. that's right.
0: That's right. That's right. Which if uh, Mark de Grandpre was correct, we should hear about any moment. Uh, a couple of days ago, I think. <laughs> yeah, that was he said 7 to 14 and that was 2 weeks ago. Oh. Mm. Interesting. So, uh, well, listen, this is the end of a, another great Seeing Red. We want to thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Dan. Thank you to John Walnick, who came in sharing his future and uh, his present, as well as his past with us. And we'd like to thank you so much for listening to Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Give us a call. Uh, write us, seeingredny at gmail.com. Uh, call the Seeing Red voice line anytime, day or night, 973-602. 9161 tell us what you think, tell us if you want to hear a little bit more USL coverage in every single episode of Seeing Red or how often Uh, if you are so inclined get out to Red Bull Arena on Saturday this Saturday to hear the team uh, to see the team play uh, Toronto FC at 3.30 It's Saturday, April 4th so uh, for Dan, for Dave wherever you are, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you so much for listening to Seeing Red, good night everyone This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.